I think that learning about the election, learning about new things is just so interesting to them. And especially when you get into the idea of what's fair and what's not fair. Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, editor-at-large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. Now that we're in the thick of the presidential campaign, we thought it would be a good time to talk about covering elections in the classroom. I work with our kids' press corps at Scholastic. I noticed how engaged our young reporters become once they cover a campaign rally or debate. Later in our program, two of our reporters will join us by phone. First, we have Stephanie Smith with us. Steph is an editorial director in our Classroom Magazines division. Thank you for being here, Steph. No, thanks for having me. So uh, you and I have both covered elections for centuries, mm-hmm. and each election feels like, wow, this is unique. But once again, we have something off the charts. How do you cover the events going on for your readers? And first, tell us the publications you edit and uh, the age range of your readers. Okay. Well, I'm the editorial director of Scholastic News editions three, four, and five, six. Those are Scholastic News magazines for third, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, uh, kids in elementary school. So basically seven to 10-year-olds, maybe up to 12-year-olds. And we are news magazines. uh, And the presidential election is the biggest, uh, you know, current event going on this year. And it's important to our teachers that we cover it. Teachers also use us uh, as a way to reinforce their social studies curriculum. So they, you know, rely on us to talk to them about the electoral process and about civic-minded type things like the importance of voting. So this is all pretty common for us to do this, both mm-hmm. from a current events and social studies perspective. It's tough, though, because a lot of these concepts are pretty sophisticated for 7 to 12-year-olds. Some of the topics that come up are very controversial, but we're experts at putting it right on level for 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12-year-olds, picking the appropriate topics, making sure they're explained well, making sure the vocabulary is in line with what they would understand. And teachers have relied on us for decades to get it right for the grade level in terms of the presidential election and any other current event that comes up. And how do you present the information in a way that will engage the readers as well, that will interest them in a topic that since they cannot vote, they might think it doesn't pertain to them? Yeah, that's a good question. It's not easy sometimes, you know, with things like, you know, getting kids to understand the Constitution or how we elect a president. These are things that you would think it would inherently be uh, snoozers for kids. <laughs> but as opposed to textbooks, which will go into detail and in sort of an encyclopedic way, we present things in a narrative format. We do everything that newspapers and magazines do. We interview experts. We interview kids about what they think. We get voices in the stories. And, you know, as well as getting the who, what, when, where, why, and how, and making sure the stories are balanced and accurate. So doing typical news and feature treatments, I think, is inherently engaging. But also, you know, we'll do treatments like here are the five things you need to know about the election and write about them in a conversational tone, um, which I think helps too with this kind of thing. What's what's so super about Super Tuesday, that kind Uh of thing. And then boiling it down in pithy language and in short chunks that they can digest. But it's also interesting to me that kids are more interested in this than people would think. In fact, I think they're more interested than many adults are for the right reasons, too. Mm -hmm. Kids, at least elementary school kids, I mean, I've worked with third through sixth graders for going on 17 years now. And 
they just love to know stuff. You know, they just love to be in the know, whether it's about endangered animals or why we're having extreme weather or what's going on in space or what's going on with the presidential election. They love to know stuff, to go home and tell their parents they know stuff. And I like to tell this story. Um, I was in a classroom about, I don't remember how long ago. It must have been the 2012 election. Maybe it was even 2008. And I went to talk to kids about what their favorite story in a recent issue was. And the cover story was about panthers. And you would think they would talk about panthers, you know, and there was other cool stuff in there. You know, I don't remember if it was exactly other stories or about space or other animals, but, you know, you would think you could bet that they would pick the panther story or something like that. But we also had a news story in there about third-party presidential candidates. Most of the kids in the class wrote essays about and talked to me about that story being their favorite story in the entire magazine because they had never heard that before. They had never heard there were more than two candidates running for president, and they thought it was incredibly unfair that these third-party candidates don't get the coverage that the two major candidates do. So I think that learning about the election, learning about new things is just so interesting to them, and especially when you get into the idea of what's fair and what's not fair. Yes, absolutely. I would say fairness and unfair. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Unfairness are such big topics for kids. Right as well as the tone of the campaign. Sometimes it's upsetting for the kids Mm -hmm. if they think the candidates are mistreating each other or making barbed statements. Mm -hmm. What do you find with your readers, how they respond to that? You know, I actually haven't had that much experience with candidates being nasty to each other until this election. Mm -hmm. Um, And it has been difficult for us to figure out how to treat that because we, obviously teachers want to encourage kids to be civil and not to bully. Um, And we haven't done many stories so far that are about more than the process. What's happening? What's a primary? What's a caucus? You know, how does this factor into the presidential election? quick snapshots on the candidates, but we have done some news stories with our kid reporters yes, and, and and with just regular Scholastic News writers that involve some of the difficult things that have come up, like name calling and that kind of thing. We have not gotten any letters from students or teachers saying that they feel as though they would not want to see that at all, mm-hmm. but it, it gives us pause, you know, in terms of what to include and what not to include. And for the most part, we don't include things like that. You know, we mostly try to stick to whatever substantive issue might be up, like illegal immigration. Right. Like we might say that Donald Trump wants to build a wall and have said that, you know, and so we do get into the issues that can be controversial, controversial and scary, but we don't focus so much on the name calling that's going on. But uh-huh. if it keeps getting worse, we're going to have to deal with it in some some sort of way. And in fact, I mean, you can speak to this as well as I can, Suzanne. We recently had a kid reporter ask Donald Trump about, you know, what he thought about the civility level of the of the of the uh, race. Yes, and he said, it's not really okay, but it's something you have to live with. It's called life. Right, right. But on the subject of illegal immigration, beyond the sort of possible nastiness, I would imagine that that could be a frightening topic for many of our readers mm-hmm. who are facing concerns, their parents. Um, we have such a diverse readership. Mm-hmm. And I have read accounts in the news, in any case, about children who are frightened by the prospect of people being deported. So I would think that even that subject is not easy to broach. No, it's not. And we haven't really done that much with it for Mm -hmm. that reason. I think like if we were to handle it, because, you know, breaking news online or stories that go up, go into an Mm -hmm. archive and come down, they're kind of quick hits on what's going on on the 
campaign trail. And there's, and you just, you know, I mean, we do need to mention what's happening in the debates and what people are talking mm -hmm. about. So things like that do come up. And as you know, we have included that in a story. What we really get into the issues going forward in the general election, once we get out of the primaries and caucuses, and we take apart the issues a little bit more and delve into them a little bit more because more information is better than less. And I think that immigration will probably be the subject of a cover story in one of our upcoming issues, as it has been in the past. The, yes. the magazines do feature-length stories that are in-depth about these kind of things. They're not just quick newsy hits. Now, we've done stories on immigration in general, illegal immigration, what both sides say, interviewing experts and that kind of thing. And I think that helps kids wrap their mind around the topic and gives them information so that it's less scary. And we will pick those stories, stories, difficult stories to do based on how newsy they are or how big a part of the campaign they are. Uh -huh. You know, I mean, they'll also be, we'll have to explain the economy and unemployment and making sure America's businesses are growing in a way that kids will understand. We'll have to explain healthcare, mm -hmm. I'm sure that that's going to continue to be an issue and do it in a way where kids don't feel like, oh no, you know, my parents are going to lose their job or their healthcare, yes. that kind of thing. Just try to do it in as simple and balanced a way as possible because it's what's out there. So you can't yes. avoid it altogether. That would be doing it injustice. Yes. The trick is to do it right for this age group. But right now we're really focusing more on the process. What's a primary? What's a caucus? You know, like I said, how that factors into the election and we're not delving into the issues just yet. We kind of want to know who the candidates are and then go deeper in an appropriate way, given what the biggest issues are then. And also you're reminding me about the scholastic mock election that yeah. is held each year once we have a nominee from each party. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? It's a pretty interesting history. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the mock election has been going on for decades and kids across the country, subscribers and non-subscribers, get to vote on who they want for president. Uh, one of the two major party candidates, another candidate, you know, a third party candidate, a write-in candidate, and we provide uh, paper ballots and we also do online voting. Um, and kids are almost always right. We get just so many votes. So it's so great to see kids take part from all across the country in every state. And they get excited to vote and have their opinion. I mean, kids this age especially just want their opinion out there. They want it uh -huh. to be known what they think. So it's a great way to engage kids in the election. And uh, since this started, since the Scholastic Student Vote started, they've only been wrong twice. It's, it's 1940, I think. Is mm -hmm. that right? I think so. Yes. Yeah. And I think that it's amazing how accurate they are, that they use, their vote usually reflects what the final vote is. Yeah. yeah. I was talking with a reporter up in New Hampshire a few, about a month ago, and he asked me, did you vote? Did the kids vote yet? <laughs> he wants to know the <laughs> results. And I was like, no, we have to wait until we have a nominee yeah. from each party. Yeah. And then, which brings up, of course, the conventions this summer, they could well be Inter more yeah. interesting than usual. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a day-by-day day and week-by-week week process now, right? I mean, yes. usually we'll know the candidates after Super Tuesday. That's unclear. It might actually go down to the conventions and we'll be there if it does, you yes. know. Uh, we'll be explaining it to kids both in print and online what's going on. So it'll be, I mean, trying to explain a super delegate to a fourth grader is not the easiest thing to do, yeah. but yeah, I'm not <laughs> maybe we won't have to go myself, there this year. So yeah. <laughs> maybe you can explain it to me. Yeah. Great, thank you so much. So much for being here, Scott. Thanks for having me. Now we have Josh Torpy on the phone. Josh is a humanities teacher at the Institute for Collaborative Education in New York City. Thank you for talking with us today, Josh. No problem. Thanks. Thanks okay. for having me. You tell our listeners what grade you teach and a little bit about your school. 
I teach seventh grade humanities, um, and our school is part of the New York State Performance Standards Consortium, which is a group of schools which has a exemption from the New York State Regents exam. So we do projects for kids to graduate high school. Uh, we're a six through twelve school, so in seventh grade they are doing the similar types of projects that they'll do to graduate high school, which are either research papers, experiments that they design, and kind of like real-world applications of what they're learning. Neat. Okay. And how do you incorporate presidential elections into your classroom? We start off the year reading the book Animal Farm by George Orwell. And in the book, their animals take over the farm from the farmers, and then there's a process by which certain animals take leadership of the farm, the pigs, and there's a contest for power. So what we do is we create different groups of students that are different teams which are supporting different animals or humans to be the leaders of the farm. So we have five different groups. And uh, we study propaganda and political advertising, commercial advertising, most common propaganda techniques, um, look at examples um, throughout history and today um, as they're preparing to make their own campaigns to win control of the farm. We look at the, you know, every year there's an election going on, some kind of election, and this year it was the, uh, you know, the primary elections. So we were looking at the, the different speeches by different candidates and advertisements and analyzing, you know, what they're trying to do, um, what, are, what audiences are they trying to win over using different propaganda techniques. That's very cool. What kinds of things do your students pick up on or what fascinates them most about a political campaign? I like to think that by showing them the kinds of techniques that the real advertisers and propagandists use, that we're kind of pulling back the curtain a little bit about how the adult world works, the real world. And then they kind of break down what they see Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders and all the rest of them doing. And I think it gives them a little bit more of a sense of they see what's what's at work and they get to put it into into action. And even though it's in a fictional setting, they're not taking on the role of being Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump, it becomes very real for them. It's a great novel and it, and it feels very, the stakes are very high in the novel of, of who's going who's gonna to win and what the best philosophy is. So always, it's the most memorable project I always hear about from huh. kids years later about the Animal Farm Project. Neat. And also, do the kids then, do you find them turning more to television or to watching the debates or becoming more engaged in the issues? Yeah, for sure. We, we definitely look at uh, the issues as well as the rhetoric. We watch the debates and uh, the speeches, and sometimes they will actually take a pause from the book and pretend to be, you know, different candidates and um, assume their different positions and do a bit of debating from different points of view. Yeah, they, they definitely get very drawn into it. And when your students are analyzing leaders, whether it's in fiction or in the real world, do they see themselves in any particular role? Does anyone say they want to become a politician or a reporter or a writer? Hmm. I think um, politicians don't come across very well in Animal Farm, for sure. Uh, <laughs> there is no real good guy in the book. I would like to think that they become not just totally cynical about politics, but just healthily skeptical and wanting to get beyond the rhetoric and into the substance of policy 
I, I would imagine the skills that they're building writing about fictional characters or about the politicians today, even though they can't vote now. And so I would hope that in the future sometime that they might um, be able to use these same ideas. And maybe making a positive difference in the world themselves, we hope. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, Josh. This was really helpful and um, we really appreciate you joining us today. No problem. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Now we're joined by Lillian Jockman from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Lillian is a member of the Scholastic News Kids Press Corps. She's in the sixth grade. She's 12 years old. And Lillian, you've had quite a bit of political reporting experience so far for a 12-year-old. Is that right? Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for joining us by phone. And do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about what you've been up to since the presidential campaign began? Um, well, so after I got selected, I, um, I went to the Iowa caucus and that was really the first political event I've ever covered. So it was pretty big. And, um, and so basically I was there, I went to a Hillary Clinton campaign rally and, um, I, well, I uh, went to see the Today Show in the morning, which was pretty cool because it was my first time seeing like what goes on behind the scenes at live TV. I got to interview NBC Nightly News anchor Lester Holt, which was like a dream come true. <laughs> and then I got to see the Iowa. I got to see one of the caucuses happen at a precinct. I got to see the Republican caucus, and it was just like mind blowing because it's so different than a primary. How like people actually stand up and talk about who they, why they want to vote for this person or why you should vote for that person. And you also get to see the votes being counted, which is pretty cool. And then the fact that like you have to come out at like night for like an hour and a half, it just shows your real commitment to like voting in the Iowa caucus. So that was pretty cool. Great. And I understand you covered a debate last week as well. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, so um, last week I went to the Democratic debate in Milwaukee, and um, that was the first debate I ever covered, so there was a lot of new things going on. So I was in the media room with about 400 other reporters, and we got to watch the uh, debate live on a bunch of TV screens. And um, so I got to go interview, I interviewed... um, a lot of protesters that were protesting outside and uh, some they were, they were protesting on a bunch of issues, including the fight for 15 and oil spills. And when I asked them who they wanted for president, they said, anybody who will help us out, um, mm. like get these issues like, fulfilled. So that was pretty cool. And then once the debate started, um, I was, I was, I mean, it was a real dog fight between Hillary and Bernie because um, Bernie was ahead in New Hampshire and Hillary was ahead in Iowa. So it was, it was pretty cool. I see that you're on a first name basis with the candidates now. Oh. <laughs> Hillary and Bernie. And you, you talked to some representatives of Senator Sanders. Is that right yeah. as, as well? Yeah. Could you tell us a little yeah. bit about that? So I talked to Senator Sanders' campaign manager, Jeff Weaver, and I asked him, well, I had planned on asking him um, 
how he planned, how Senator Sanders planned to like, to like fulfill his plan for free education. But then somebody asked that question before me. So I ended up asking if uh, Mr. Weaver thought uh, Senator Sanders was too old to be president because some people think so. And oh my goodness. He, what did they say? He said that um, he and that young people don't think he's too old because um, they voted with margins of 80%, over 80% in Iowa. And also because he was on uh, the internet playing basketball. Tell us, what have you learned covering these events? Oh, that's hard. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of stuff. Well, one of the things, the biggest thing I learned is you really got to be confident when you go interview people because it's not always going to be planned out for you where everybody's expecting you to come interview them. And so when you're going to interview voters, no one is expecting that you're going to come interview them. So you just kind of got to get that confidence up and like just say, you know, it's going to be okay and they're not going to bite your arm off and, you know, just go up and do it. So I think that's a really big thing I learned reporting uh, the campaign. And is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners about your adventures on the campaign trail? Well, if, if you ever get the chance to go to caucus, you should go because it's pretty awesome. <laughs> I agree. Thank you so very much, Lillian, for talking with us today and happy travels. Thanks. Now, here's kid reporter Bobby Senna from Orlando, Florida. Hi, Bobby. Hi, Susan. Bobby, you've been covering the campaign since last June when Jeb Bush declared his candidacy. Of course, Bush has since dropped out of the race. Yes, that is correct. Okay, do you want to tell us a little bit about your experiences so far in Florida? Uh, absolutely. Um, I, I think, you know, I'll go as far back as, as Jeb Bush when he announced his candidacy for the 2016 election. It was, uh, first of all, an amazing experience. But, you know, as far as the event went, uh, it was, it was so amazing, you know, feeling the energy in the in the room with all the supporters. There were hecklers there. Um, you know, you had Jeb Bush announcing that he's running for president. And uh, and as far as what to look for when covering, you know, this this particular event, uh, you know, it, it's obvious to to look for one the crowd and the energy, as I had said, you know, with the supporters, and then always making sure to, you know, interview one of these supporters. Um, and then another experience I had was at the Republican summit where I got to meet, where I got to meet Republican candidate Marco Rubio. And I got to ask him a question about why it's important for the youth to care about the election. And he answered, it's important because this election is going to affect us in the future. Also, Bobby, you've learned a few things about the role of selfies in this campaign. Yes, uh, selfies. I mean, they're huge now in this election. You know, the selfies are taking over this election. You know, you get Hillary, and she's there, you know, with every supporter just taking their phone and already knowing how to take a selfie. Uh, when I was at the Republican Summit, Marco Rubio, you know, he's walking to his supporters and taking selfies. And these candidates do know how to work the selfies. <laughs> what skills come into play when covering political events? Uh, huge skill is definitely talking to the supporters 
at the Hillary Clinton rally, um, you know, I talked to one of the supporters who were there and they actually helped me get to the very front of the rally. Um, and, and they gave me excellent information. They had a young kid who was there, uh, there, um, who was skipping school. So, you know, I got to ask her a question. So definitely it, it opens doors talking to people and getting to know different people. And, and then as well as getting, you know, as close to the front as possible, that's, that's definitely a skill you got to learn. You know, if that means crawling, bending, you got to do it. <laughs> and are you keeping up? How are you keeping up with the campaign when you're not covering events? Uh, I, actually very, very well. Keeping up with the campaign, it's, it's definitely great. You know, always keeping up with TV, watching the debates, watching the caucuses, and always following up on that news. So if you do end up covering uh, a rally or an event, you, you're in the loop. You know exactly what's going on. You know why they're talking about this issue. You know why they're talking about that issue. And, and then you just get a really good sense of who's there. You know, these supporters are, are here because, it, you know, the caucuses are coming up because they support this candidate because this issue is being talked about. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we let you go here? There is one. Always have fun. Thank you for talking with us, Bobby. We'll see you on the campaign trail. And thank you for joining us and for sharing in our mission at Scholastic, where we believe that the right book in a child's hands can open a world of possible. Special thanks to producer Megan K. Safer, sound mixer and editor Daniel Jordan, and music composer Lucas Elliott Eberle.